0: hello everybody and welcome back to behind the net podcast this is episode number 35 uh i can't think of any hockey or N- nba players that uh, have that number but uh we're gonna roll with it this is gonna be a fun episode already i can tell you that right now spoiler alert i'm michael and joined beside me as always is my co-horse and partner in crime matthew
1: um hey guys uh yep yeah. uh as always uh we're here for the next episode uh and we have a really really great episode planned today uh I mean, I'll spoil it a little here, but we will be joined by uh, two great uh, reporters: one Raptors reporter in uh, Blake Murphy, and one Leafs reporter in Joshua Cloak. And uh, side note, Michael, episode thirty-five, the first, the first player that popped in my head was J.S. Gear. Just ah, <laughs> damn it! How I just wanted—I to to, wanted to put one uh, name to the episode uh, number, but uh, yeah, I mean. We're going to keep it kind of short here because, uh, like I said, we have a lot of great content, the two great interviews coming up your way, so uh, stay tuned, of course. But, Michael, how is your week going so far?
0: It's been great, man. I've actually been in such a good mood, and I think you know exactly part partly why that is, uh, but I want to ask you, how, how's your week been?
1: Um, I've been good. I've been a good, in a good mood, too, and obviously, for me, I, it's probably the same reason as you. I mean, sports are right around the corner, Um we have basketball i mean we are recording this on friday so the toronto raptors will be scrimmaging today um well tonight and uh obviously hockey is just around the corner and the uh, mlb regular season has al- also started so um it's uh, definitely going to be very a very very you know fun next couple of days
0: oh yeah absolutely i'm really looking forward to it uh just seeing live sports again i saw like the blue jays the other day that was a uh such a surreal moment just to be able to watch sports again. So I'm really looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we have some exciting news we want to share before we get into things. Oh, yeah, I do.
1: Yeah. Um, You could you can announce it if you want.
0: Okay, Um, I'd be surprised if any of you guys have been living under rock and didn't uh, see this uh, for either of us. But uh, we have some very exciting news. We have moved platforms for writing. That's right, folks. We are no longer working for Editor and Leaf. We are now officially writers for The Leafs Nation.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, again, uh, well, I, I want to thank uh, Editor and Leaf for um, my time there. Of course, I've been there for a few years and it's been nothing but a positive experience and a great time writing uh, about The Leafs there. But I'm excited for this new uh, opportunity with The Leafs Nation
0: absolutely i can say the exact same thing uh it was a great uh, couple of years there uh almost two years actually for me that's crazy to think but uh memories a lot of great people we met there and uh we're just looking forward to a new opportunity at to the least nation and we've all both of us have already written a bunch of pieces you should go definitely check it out mm-hmm. and i think you have a big one coming up soon yeah i correct? have
1: a pretty cool one coming out. i don't want to spoil it too much but it involves uh the nhl 20 video game as well Ooh, yeah we-
0: keep your, t- t- uh, your <laughs> eyes uh, peeled on matthew's page and uh we'll mention our, our social media at the end but uh, it, that's where yeah, it's out.
1: very uh, on brand for uh, us to tie video games and everything <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i mean uh i like i said the the bulk of this episode is uh the two great interviews we conducted today and uh i i say we start we go right into our first interview i mean Today, like I said, the Toronto Raptors will be scrimmaging tonight at uh, 7.30 against the Houston Rockets. And uh, by the time you listen to this, maybe that game is over or it's just starting. But uh, we got to speak to a very, very great um, Raptors reporter in uh, Blake Murphy. He writes for The Athletic. And uh, how about we just go straight into that interview right now? Today, we're very happy to be joined by Blake Murphy, a Toronto Raptors reporter for The Athletic. On top of his sports coverage, he also hosts a weekly music podcast called Columbia House Party. Welcome to the show, Blake. How's it going?
2: Hey, guys. I'm well. How are you? We're good, man. Good.
1: Awesome. So, I mean, first, first off, uh, how's your day going? How's your morning?
2: Oh, pretty, uh, pretty uneventful. Had a piece go up, walked the dog, made a coffee. It's uh, the Raptors play tonight, not to give away when we're recording this or whatever, and they're not doing shoot around. So I get a, a nice like free morning. Um, it's been kind of weird because like their practice times and their media availability times have been different every day. So there's like no semblance of a routine right now. But like a 730 game with with shoot around canceled feels like we're back in uh, back in January or February.
1: For sure. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, on that topic, like how's how have you felt as a reporter? during these times, how has the pandemic kinda of changed the way you cover the Raptors right now? And how yeah. do you kinda of handle those new challenges?
2: Yeah, it's been weird, obviously not having games like um I had William Liu on my podcast this week and he pointed out that the gap between Raptors games right now is longer than the gap between them winning the championship and starting the next season. So like I'm like, none of us are used to uh, a break this long in season, but this is longer than even some off season. So um, not having, you know, games and and transactions and stuff like that to write about has been different. Uh, I tried to use that time. Well, you know, I did some like retrospective stuff, some fun like Raptors history stuff, a lot of draft prep. This is, this is by far the most prepared I've been for a draft since like 2016 when they had two first round picks uh, and they did, they worked out like 65 guys at at, um, OVO center Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I've tried to use it like that. They've been good since they got to um, Naples before they went to Orlando in terms of doing like almost daily Zooms. And those aren't like quite as valuable as as when you're around the team and can talk to guys in person and and, like have some, you know, not every conversation has a camera on or even a microphone on And those are valuable, but um, they're helpful. And and the team's doing what they can to to help out. And then for me, I mean, I – once games start now I'm just going to shift into basically full-time analysis mode so I'll drop you know some of the more featurey things I might normally do during the regular season it's going to be almost pure analysis because like I can't talk to guys and I can't feel the vibe uh, around the team and stuff like that so uh, it'll be a lot more of that probably
1: awesome awesome so uh getting right into the Raptors uh what's your ob- observation of the Raptors camp so far um just just before we start the return to play
2: yeah it, it's tough right because you know you hear every year in training camp things like chris boucher's put on 15 pounds Marcus All looks like he's finals ready um you know terence davis is added to his pick and roll game all this stuff you hear that every year about some handful of guys and then we get going and some of it actually sticks and some of it doesn't some of it's just the stuff that looks good in practice or Or stands out in individual work or whatever so um and and then this time you know not that they let us in on training camp practices but we get to see a little bit more than we've been able to see during this uh so this is all just uh word of mouth there's no no actual visuals for us so i'm really excited for these scrimmage games to kind of see you know i'm not going to care much about how this five man lineup looks or or this rotation or that rotation but from an individual skill perspective uh these scrimmages should be pretty illuminating i i think you know, the Raptors have a pretty good confidence level, but I, I would think, you know, 19 of these 22 teams probably have a good confidence level uh, heading in just because, you know, you haven't played another team and you've had all this time to kind of uh, build your, your chemistry and your culture and stuff. But uh, yeah, the Raptors will tell you they're ready to, uh, to defend the title and, and that they think the chemistry and continuity they have is a pretty big advantage.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure.
0: Absolutely. Um, I obviously I understand that uh, it's hard to really get a full like analysis of how the players are performing during the shootarounds and scrimmages like for their for themselves uh, since you can't have access yet. But from uh, what you've heard so far, are there any players that have stood out to you, and who has you the most concerned?
2: Um, I don't think anyone's concerned. You know, I I think I think we can expect at least for these three scrimmage games and eight reseeding games that despite the buzz about Marcus Gasol's, how, how he looks and how good he looks. Like, I think you're going to see his minutes managed pretty carefully. So if you see him sitting out a scrimmage or a reseeding game, don't panic. I think that's going to be part of the plan with uh, getting him ready for the playoffs and keeping him ready for the playoffs. Um, the one name that, that maybe would surprise people to hear is Stanley Johnson's come up a couple times. And I know that, like you know, Stanley Johnson has exactly the kind of game you can fall into these training camp traps with because he is the type of guy who does look so good in like a freewheeling run or a pickup environment or whatever. Um, but his name's come up a couple times as like someone who's been a part of some second units, pushed the top units, made the the comp- competition level of practices a little higher. So, um, you know, I think, I think a lot of us are entering these games knowing that there's a top seven and then kind of looking at, Okay, Hollis Jefferson and Boucher are competing for one spot and Davis and McCarr are competing for another spot. And then maybe Matt Thomas gets some some specialist minutes or something. But from the sounds of it, maybe Stanley Johnson is, is elbowing his way into that Hollis Jefferson Boucher conversation. Uh obviously, I think at this point, Raptors fans are gonna need to see like a lot of it before they buy back in on Johnson. Um, but you know, there's a reason they signed him, and, and I didn't agree with giving him a second year and a player option, but uh, the team obviously uh, believes there's something there, so th- it's been interesting to hear his name come up a couple times.
0: Of course. Uh, absolutely. And, well, he's one guy that's going to definitely be pushing the pace, and a lot of other guys on mm-hmm. the bench are going to be pushing the pace as well. Um, obviously, there hasn't been a scrimmage game yet at the time of recording, and they will be playing their first one tonight. But just without having them seen them playing a scrimmage game against another team, what can we realistically expect from the Raptors in these playoffs and what are going to be the keys to their success?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, identity-wise, they're pretty well-established. They're not Milwaukee, but they might be the next best defense in the league. And how they're going to do that is they don't really play any guys in the rotation who are minus defenders. And they have, especially within their top five to seven, they have know everyone's an average or better defender and you have this level of of continuity and chemistry and communication and and creativity that nick nurse fosters um so i think you know their identity is primarily going to come on the defensive end they were the number two team in the league at at forcing opponent turnovers this year which is great because for the second year in a row they're one of the deadliest transition attacks and if you look at the contrast between how good they are in transition and then being kind of average in the half court uh, forcing turnovers and getting out and running like that is going to be a huge part of their success, especially once we get, you know, outside of the first round of the playoffs, there, there aren't going to be weak spots. Whether that second round series is against Boston, Indiana, Philly, Miami, um, there are no soft spots there really. And then a third round matchup against Milwaukee. So uh, you've got to be able to force those kind of easy baskets with your defense. And I think that's kind of where, uh, the Raptors' identity will probably lie again. Um, you know, you'd hope that that some of the guys take steps forward offensively. Maybe OG Ananobi has a little more to offer you in his offensive package. Um, you know, maybe Pascal Siakam took the lessons of, of the 53 games that that he played in, in kind of the number one scorer role and he's able to uh, add to his uh, kind of ability as a as a late game closer. Um, you know, I think there's some evidence too that like Nick Nurse was holding some stuff back. The Raptors had the number two clutch offense, and, and those are noisy, noisy samples against not a great mix of teams. But I think if you watch those minutes, there's a lot more um, Siakam handling in the pick and roll with the guard setting screens, a lot more hammer actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were a top 10 team coming out of timeouts scoring. So I, I do think there's there's some evidence that they, they have a little bit more to offer on the offensive end. But I think if you're a Raptor fan, you're going in really confident with their defense really confident with the transition attack and it's the half court offense and you know who gets the ball with the game on the line kind of stuff that you're not negative about but curious about for sure
1: of course all great points and speaking of uh players who have to step it up who do you think who would you say is the raptors x-factor going into these playoffs
2: yeah it's tough um i'd probably say. Geez. You know, I, I think the most interesting battle is probably if Terrence Davis can win that kind of extra guard role from Patrick McCaw. And I don't think, you know, when you get to the second round and beyond, I don't even know that the eighth man is going to have a huge role. Nick Nurse showed us last year he won't hesitate to cut the rotation to seven or six and a half at times. Um, but if Davis can do enough defensively, I think that he offers something that the Raptors lack a little bit especially once Siakam's off the floor is that they can't you know they don't really put a lot of pressure on the rim their pick and roll orchestrators Lowry and Van Bleet, are looking to pass um, even their bigs are, are looking to pop more often or if you're Gasol maybe looking to come into a dribble handoff after you get the ball on the roll or something like that they, there's not a ton of natural inclination to get to the rim and force a defense to collapse to the paint and that's something that you know Siakam and Powell do well But only having two guys in your rotation who do that leaves you a little thin attacking the rim and that's where davis that's davis's biggest strength and yeah there are some turnover issues and he's not there as a pick and roll creator yet and you know he's not his floor on defense is not as high as a a macar some other rotation options but i think he's better suited than anyone else on the team to to put that pressure on the rim and that's a really valuable skill in a playoff series Uh, in terms of the guys who are for sure going to play i think og ananobi is the most interesting one to watch uh, I wrote on Thursday for The Athletic kind of a breakdown of his defense. I'm really high on his defense. I think at this point, like, I know that Siakam will probably get more votes and Van Vliet and Lowry might get more votes too, but I think Ananobi is, um, you know, the best one-on-one perimeter defender on the roster. Uh, Marcus All might be the most important defender overall to the number two defense, but Ananobi's guarding the hardest guys most often. He ranks as the third most versatile player uh, defensive player in the nba by um this versatility rating that that krishnan Narsu does for b-ball index um and you know the the results are there too he, he doesn't have doesn't profile as an elite elite defender with the advanced metrics but a lot of that is because of the raptors being so deep defensively that mm-hmm. no one really stands out as having this huge impact so um you know i think when you look at Guarding Jason Tatum, who's guarding Jimmy Butler, who's guarding Ben Simmons, who's getting first crack at Giannis and trying to guide him into you know those walls that we saw Kawhi guard guide Giannis into uh last year. I think OG is going to get the first crack at that, and the, the big swing factor is going to be can he do enough on offense that the defensive value he's providing is a net positive? And we saw growth from him this year, you know, career high true shooting percentage. Uh, Career high assist rate, I'm pretty sure. Turnovers were stable, um, but the usage isn't that high. And I think what that means is if you're Boston and you want to double team Pascal Siakam to get the ball out of his hands, OG Ananobi is the guy that you are kind of daring to beat you. If you're um, Philadelphia and you want to leave, you know, you don't trust Shake Milton maybe starting a point guard on Kyle Lowry, maybe you slide him onto OG Ananobi to throw size at Lowry and Van Vliet which we know Lowry and Van Vliet have struggled with more than like-sized defenders in the past. Um, So, you know, can OG Ananobi take advantage of that? Uh, So those are the kind of questions that, you know, become more important in the playoffs when teams are looking for every little edge and every little spot that they can let off a guy or, or, um, you know, exploit a guy's weaknesses or whatever. So uh, how Ananobi can grow offensively and can he put it on the floor a little bit more Will that three point percentage stay in the high thirties instead of the mid thirties? All of those are little things that, you know, those, those are X factor swing skills over the course of games and really over the course of series, because they'll dictate just how much he can play, just how much nurse has to lean on someone else. And, you know, who's closing games more than anything.
1: Mm -hmm. And, uh, all great insight. And obviously this season, uh, is, is looking at the teams are looking a lot less loaded than last season of course with the dismissal of Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green but this is also the first season that we'll see uh, Siakam as the number one option in the playoffs and we've seen him as the number one option throughout the season but what can we expect from Siakam in his first playoffs as the number one option
2: yeah I think there are some encouraging signs you know his efficiency this year dropped and that's to be expected he took this massive jump in usage that only a couple other guys have, you know, at this stage in their career. Usually, if you're if you're going to be using a superstar's usage, that's a more methodical increase. Or you come into the league being a superstar. Um, him jumping from 20% usage to 28, 29% is pretty rare, and, and it's not unexpected that his true shooting percentage dropped. Um, you know, it's just a much harder diet of shots that you're getting. I think what's encouraging is, um, you know, the numbers don't support this in terms of assists and, and number of passes. I think his playmaking got better as the season went along, just in terms of, you know, watching and seeing how he reacts to double teams and pressure and stuff like that. Um, you know, his his numbers in the clutch were really, really strong. Uh, his usage rate went up and his true shooting percentage uh, went up in the clutch, which is, you know, those are the situations where defenses are really keyed in on you. So I think that's encouraging. Um, I think it's really encouraging that he hit so many pull-up threes on volume and at percentage like his three-point percentage didn't increase this year but almost all of those catch and shoot corner threes from last year that were created by kyle lowry or Kawhi leonard or marcus all a lot of those are ones he's creating for himself now and we saw in the playoffs last year that opponents would put a big man on him like joel Embiid, and kind of sag back and dare siakam to shoot and if he wanted to drive well then he's driving with a head of steam into a seven footer that's waiting for him there in the paint. Um, you know, and, and we thought that some of the counter that might be adding an in between game where you can pull up from mid range. Uh, but adding on an above the break three is huge for that too. Uh, that's especially so if he's going to be running some pick and roll from the top of the floor where you can't, you know, you probably still go under and dare him to dare him to take those, but you can't, you can't just leave them the way the Raptors did against, you know, Giannis at times last year and really dare him to take them because he can hit those at 36 37%. So uh, that's a pretty huge development for him. Obviously, it, honestly, I think I think how Siakam looks in this number one usage role is probably the biggest thing I'm watching for with the Raptors in the relaunch. And luckily, they're going to play some pretty good defenses in these 8 receding games. games. Uh, so he'll get some more reps there. And, and I think, you know, it, it's this is kind of a black box in terms of player development. Like we, we've never seen a situation like this. We don't know how a guy like Siakam maybe used three months where he wasn't playing a lot but could go through video and could reflect on his, the season he had. Uh, we just don't really know how how a time like that is going to affect each individual player. But it's I, th- I think how Siakam looks was encouraging this year. But it's also, you know, that's going to determine the Raptors' offensive ceiling. So it's probably the storyline to watch with this team.
0: Absolutely. And it's also going to determine like where the Raptors go from here beyond this season. And I know you were mentioning this earlier, but uh, the Raptors this year are finally going to have, at least in these playoffs, are going to have a full bench at the start. So how important is it that Nick Nurse finally has a full rotation to work with after such a long time? And since you mentioned this earlier, how how does OG's uh, addition help the team this time around?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I, I talked about OG a little bit earlier and, I think his defense is huge, and I think what having him as a top defensive option does is that it allows you to not task Siakam with that. Um, Siakam's a a good defender as well. I don't think he had the defensive season that OG Ananobi had, um, but he's also, if you look at their defensive skill sets, Siakam's really good when he can kind of play off the ball and get in passing lanes and do his aggressive closeouts and, and switch around a little bit. So putting Ananobi on the top, offensive weapon for the other team kind of keeps Siakam in a more ideal defensive role too, where he's also not you know, using a ton of his energy when he's going to carry 30% of the offense the other way. We saw that with Kawhi Leonard last year too, where it wasn't until game three against the Bucks that Nick Nurse made the adjustment to put Kawhi on Giannis. So, um, you know, I think, I think that'll be his line of thinking as well in terms of the whole debt, the whole bench and, and the depth they have, I think it's great for these three scrimmages and eight receding games. You know, if the Raptors, Nick nurse has already said, don't expect to see like the regular rotation in these scrimmage games. And then if they beat Boston in their fourth receding game, well then that pretty much locks up the two seed and you can kind of approach those last four games as if, um, you know, as if you're just trying to get ready for the playoffs and play guys, fewer minutes or get guys games off or whatever, sit on a back to back, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's, that's valuable for that. I think, it's probably helpful to have, you know, three full units in practice. Um, I wrote about last year how this kind of unknown thing is that the back five or six guys on the roster are tasked during a playoff series with being what they call the scout team. So you'll have, you know, if you're going up against uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, O'Shea Brissett in practice becomes Giannis and Dewan Hernandez is Brooke Lopez. And, you know, Malcolm Miller is, is Dante DiVincenzo. Or however it shakes out, And they watch film on this other team and they learn some of their plays and then they kind of act as the Bucks or whoever the opponent is uh, in running through practices. So I think having a full healthy contingent of those guys will help too. Um, The bigger question to me is like, you know, the Raptors are probably not going to have summer league. I, I don't think we're going to do that even like a brief fall league or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the Raptors usually spend their offseason rotating their guys around LA, Toronto and Burnaby to kind of get familiar with the system and, and bring their games up and get those Rico Hines runs in and stuff. And there's not going to be maybe any of that, but certainly not as much of that this off season. So what I'm most curious about is, you know, you, when you're looking at Paul Watson, O'Shea Brissett, Dewan Hernandez, how do you use this bubble to develop those guys? And I obviously you can't carve out minutes for them in playoff games. But if you can carve out minutes for them in these scrimmages and these reseeding games, that might be pretty helpful to to their individual growth too. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a, certainly a weird time for guys who are sitting uh, 13, 14 through 17 uh, on the depth chart. But I, I guess the other thing too to consider is that uh, those guys are responsible for being the crowd on the bench. So they, they got to keep the energy up.
0: For sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. And you bring up a great point about the Summer League, uh, just about the whole uh, weirdness of this, this year. I'm going to imagine that this this uh, upcoming scrimmage uh, games is going to feel somewhat of akin to a Summer League game for the rest of the NBA players, which is, is something we've never seen before.
2: Yeah I think it will you know Norman Powell said he expects it to be kind of a glorified pickup run was the the term he used the first two days of scrimmages have certainly had that summer league vibe of you know bull bull going off the Nuggets starting five Giants Um, a bunch of weirdness like that you know um, who was it someone someone dunked all all over Thanasis yesterday and it was just I don't know even the even the highlights look like summer league highlights because there aren't like there aren't ca- as many cameramen on the baseline. There aren't people all over the place. Summer league has better crowds than than nothing, obviously, uh, but it definitely has that vibe to me. So uh, curious to see. And then I guess you know, are are they going to let Rondé play to like seven or eight fouls? I don't uh, I don't know. Maybe because summer league you, you get ten, and that's always been the the running the running joke in summer league uh, to watch kind of the foul count for some of these more foul prone guys. But yeah, it'll probably feel a little bit like that. I, I think things will probably playoff time I think this will all start to feel a little bit more normal. Um especially the second round once like the the couple of weaker teams that sneak into the playoffs are gone. Uh, I think we're gonna get used to this pretty quickly.
1: Oh for sure for sure and I I just I'm so excited like it feels like so long since we've talked about basketball like you know as if it's actually happening and now it's actually happening and just it feels so great.
2: Yeah it certainly does and like I have you know I have some some not hang-ups about it I guess but I'm, I'm trying to approach this responsibly where you know there's a lot going on and the players are risking their health and leaving their families for, in some cases months at a time uh, to do this and yeah it's financially motivated for sure so um, but it's also you know they are putting their health at risk and they are leaving their family they're making sacrifices and then um, you know obviously the the messaging they're trying to use this platform with and the Raptors have been kind of at the forefront of that Masai Jiri was on TNT last night once again talking about it uh, the the Black Lives Matter messaging on the buses and the t-shirts and the media backdrops Terrence Davis talking about um Donna Taylor's killers still being out free in the world in media sessions so um, you know trying to, very excited to have basketball back and trying to keep in mind that that these other things are going on as well and that you know, I, I don't know if the the term responsibility trickles down as far as fans, but certainly as as media, we have a responsibility to keep those messages strong. And I, I really hope that the the fans who are so eager for basketball hear those messages uh, as well, because they mean a lot to the players. And, and basketball has kind of only come back on the condition that we talk, we use basketball to talk about these things. And I hope, you know, I hope that gets recognized by people.
1: Of course, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We're just starting to uh, wrap up here, by the way. Uh, sure. Just a couple more questions. Don't worry. But uh, Michael, you have one?
0: Yes, of course. Um, we were talking about this earlier with the Bucks and the 76ers. Uh, compared to last year, I think the the trip, the, the journey out of the East is going to be just as hard as it was last year. But overall, which team posts is the greatest threat to the Raptors and who, what could be the downfall for the Raptors this year?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the the East stacks up kind of similarly to last year. Uh, I would say, depending on who actually is available to play for the Pacers, because you have Sabonis and Oladipo as question marks right now, you know, the East is either five or six deep. And, and I think people talk about the West being better than the East and all this stuff, but that's that's only really true from seven on down. Um, you know, the West has seven really good teams and then some teams fighting for the eight. But the top six in the East are are really strong. Uh, so no weak spots there. I, I think you know, Milwaukee is similar to last year. I think you have Milwaukee at the top and then a second tier that includes Toronto and Boston. And last year, Philly would have been in there this year. Maybe Miami has the edge on Philly. I, to be completely honest, I think Philadelphia has the widest range of outcomes in this relaunch. Like, it would not surprise me if they're a complete disaster or if they win the championship. Like, Philadelphia, just cause, because of the fit concerns and because of, you know, Embiid with the time off and, and him and Simmons getting healthy and stuff like that, I just, Philly could go either direction. It wouldn't surprise me. So, um, But they're right there in the discussion. But I think... You know, we look back at last year and yes, the Bucs were the favorite and the Raptors beat them and the Bucs had all the regular season metrics in their favor. Um, they have extended that even further this year. Like this Bucks team was an historic regular season team. They improved some of their weaknesses from last year where, you know, that second unit is is a lot deeper. Everyone in it can shoot. Yes, there are still the Lopez brothers and Bledsoe that you might help off of and dare to beat you. But there's more shooting talent, um, you know, probably even more defensive talent there. So uh, I think the Bucs have a bigger edge over the rest of the East than last year. And then I'd probably say Toronto, Boston make up that next tier, and then there's a thin gap between uh, a Miami, Philly, Indiana tier after that. So um, Milwaukee is the team that I think, you know, if I were picking right now, I think the Raptors get to the conference finals and lose to the Bucs. Um, but, you know, that second round series isn't going to be easy either, and and I really hope we get Raptors-Celtics. I've wanted that series forever. Uh, I think the Raptors would be slight favorites in it, and and I'd probably pick them to win. Uh, But, yeah, Milwaukee's the team in the East right now, and you have Giannis as the MVP. You're the best defense in the league by a mile. um, Improve some of your weaknesses from last year, and, you know, we can't forget that it was – that series was very, very close last year. The margins were slim, so – uh, I think yeah probably Milwaukee is the biggest threat there.
1: For sure. And even off that um of course Milwaukee since last year took a took big steps this season and on paper at least uh the Raptors have taken a step back. Um but that's why I want to ask you if if the Raptors and the Bucks match up these play uh, during these playoffs um would you say that the series would be Toronto's to lose or more so Milwaukee's to win?
0: Yeah,
2: I think you know I think Milwaukee would be a favorite and I think you know, again, that, that was the case last year too. And the Raptors got down two zero and almost down three zero and fought back. And that was a, a huge testament to you know, everything that made the Raptors the Raptors last year. And I think they do still have a lot of that, but you know, they don't have Kawhi Leonard and their offense is average instead of sniffing around the top five, top 10 and Milwaukee has gotten even better. So, um, you know, I, I think it would be a competitive series. I think Milwaukee would probably be favored. I think probably Bucks and six would be the most common pick. Shout out to Brandon Jennings. Um, but yeah, I, I think it would be. I think it would be really competitive. I think the Raptors would go in confident. I think Raptors fans would go in confident, kind of armed with some of the message, some of the lessons from from last year's series. But you also have to leave room for Giannis is better, and, and now, and the, they're a little deeper now, and they learned those lessons from last year too. So. Um, they get to apply those as well. The, the, now, the question is, will Mike Budenholzer adjust or will he just do the same stuff over and over again? Uh, mm-hmm. That's a real question. And, and, you know, I just read Zach Lowe's award ballots and, and he has Nurse Budenholzer 1-2. So that's, you know, on paper, the best coaching matchup you could get too. So, uh, but yeah, I think the Bucks would be favored there.
1: Mm-hmm. It's definitely going to be very, very close. And uh, our final, final question for you today, uh, again, thanks so much for coming on and giving so much insight. But our final question is just, how good are the raptors chances of repeating
2: yeah i think they're you know they're better than zero it's been interesting to track the the vegas lines because they're all over the place unless you're betting on one of the two la teams or Milwaukee you can get drastically different lines i think i looked last night and the raptors were anywhere from plus 800 to plus 2200 so if you're super like if you're better who doesn't mind going and checking different sites and you're super high on the raptors or you're super high on the rockets or super high on the 76ers you can you know shop around for some really some really juicy lines right now um in terms of the raptors chances you know i i'm just throwing a random on this but like as i went through the lines and went through some of the models like basketball reference and jacob goldstein and 538 and stuff um you know like a plus twelve fifty line feels about right like maybe somewhere in the seven percent chance range and obviously i'm just throwing a kind of a random number on that you know, amalgamating all these different uh all these different sources but i think You know, if they lock up the two seed, which they have a 90 plus percent chance of doing, um, you know, there's not much chance they lose in the first round. I think they'd be, you know, say, 55 percent favorite against Boston, maybe like a 40 percent favorite against Milwaukee, maybe a 40 percent favorite again in the finals. And you add all those up. And I think it's in the five to 10 percent range, maybe a little closer to five. Um, And that's not zero. You know, there's uh I, I've heard before teams operate with the five percent rule in mind, where if you have even a five percent chance, you got to be thinking all in, like like you have a real chance. So um yeah, it's not it's not nothing. It would take you know, the run this year would have to be even more incredible than last year, I think. But it's on the table.
0: Absolutely, awesome. and they've proven the the doubters wrong already just by the fact that they're even in this position to begin with. So it's who's to say that they can't do it again? Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Of course. And uh, yeah, but those are all our questions. And we really just wanted to thank you again for coming on and and sharing so much insight. And I'm just so ready for basketball to return right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah,
2: me too. too. It'd be nice to have actual games.
0: For sure. For sure. Before we let you go, would you want to plug your social media so the listeners at home know where to find you?
2: Yeah, sure. You can find me at Blake Murphy ODC. On Twitter, um, all my work at The Athletic. We actually, right now, if you're not an athletic subscriber, until August 5th, if you click on any of my articles, uh, there's 40% off. So um, if you've been hesitating or a lapsed reader or anything like that. uh, And then check out my music podcast, Columbia House Party, which is uh, a fun side distraction that I won't have nearly as much time for now that basketball's back.
1: Great. Um, Yeah, so to all the listeners listening make sure to follow blake murphy on uh on uh twitter and also check out his articles uh definitely if you don't if you aren't subscribed to the athletic currently i highly recommend it uh, I, i've been subscribed to it and it's been one of my best subscriptions so uh yeah but uh thanks again uh blake uh really appreciate it and i hope you have a great day yeah hey, you guys
2: you. thanks for having me on
1: thank you
0: Didn't we tell you guys that was going to be an awesome interview? Wow. That was very insightful, wouldn't you say? Honestly,
1: it was so insightful, and uh, once again, thank you to Blake Murphy for coming on the podcast. I mean, go read his work. You can tell just how insightful his um, pieces are about the Toronto Raptors. They're just, uh, you know, his analysis is always just so interesting uh, for me. You know, even just learn more about basketball, learn more about the team, and uh, just learn more about the Raptors matchups. Um, And it honestly going into these playoffs we've been deprived of basketball for so long so you know the, that kind of content really just um opens your eyes a little more especially now i think everyone's kind of really thirsting for that type of content
0: like murphy's been around the block for a while and he's always been such a great writer so if you haven't been paying any attention to his work you should definitely pay attention now he's he's one of the best there is for raptors coverage so he's definitely worth the read for sure and speaking of the
1: raptors uh playing tonight Michael, what are your predictions for the Raptors uh, either tonight or just overall um, during these playoffs?
0: Well, I imagine that these next three games are just going to be more tune-ups than anything. I don't think there's going we're going to be seeing anything, anything ridiculous, like as in the Raptors blowing out another team. But that's okay because they shouldn't be like too focused on trying to embarrass the competition. These are uh, games that uh, get them tuned up for the playoffs, which I think m- most Raptors fans know. They're already locked in a playoff spot for, but I'd ama- I like to think that uh, after these three games, I would really like to look forward to uh, how they play against some of the like, teams like the Lakers and Miami and all that, all those teams that are right in the playoff conversation. Uh, My guess is they're going to go six and wait, there's eight games, right? Mm-hmm. Eight
1: regular season games.
0: Okay. I'm going to say five and three.
1: Nice. Um, yeah, I'm going to say obviously the first few scrimmages aren't going to really matter. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Raptors lost tonight, and I also wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, blew the Rockets out of the water. But I think for both teams, this is about, you know, getting back into the swing of things. Uh, obviously, players, not a lot of players have had access to basketball hoops and things like that. We know, you know, Pascal Siakam's been uh, kind of uh, out of practice for a little, but, you know, he's getting back into the swing of things. and. They're definitely going to limit, you know, his and Lowry's uh, minutes a, a little bit, just because you know it's not really an important game. But it will be interesting to see uh, where kind of kind of gauge where they're at. But I think I can't really put a record on their regular season because honestly, the Raptors have a very hard schedule ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just looking at a, a report today about. Um, you know comparing the Boston Celtics schedule and the Toronto Raptors schedule because Boston's only about three games behind uh, Toronto and obviously I think the key is here holding on to that second seed um, heading into the playoffs and I do think they have a good chance at winning a lot of their games but like I said they have a very hard schedule and, and to know, I think the hardest games will be against the uh, Lakers, which is their first game, and then uh, later on with the Celtics, because the Celtics would have had obviously played a um, an easier schedule, and you know it's crucial because they are the di- their direct competition um, in terms of seeding. So I do think the Raptors will hold on to that second seed though, and I really do think they have a good chance at at least making the conference finals once again.
0: Absolutely, and uh, I think you do make a good point that Boston is going to be a big threat as well, especially since they're going to be playing them during these uh, eight uh, regular season games. Um, But I think what the Raptors need to do is make sure that they don't catch the the Celtics on a hot streak. As long as they win a couple of games, close in on the 50-win range, they should be okay with uh, locking down that second seed. And that would mean playing either with the the Nets, the Magic, and the Wizards. Three teams that the Raptors have, as we see in the regular season, Matched up fairly well with. Um, that doesn't mean that they're going to obviously like cruise to victory because, as we saw during the Magic series last uh, in 2019, they uh, gave them a bit of a scare, but that was about it—a scare.
1: For sure, for sure. Um, before we sp- begin speaking about hockey, I did want to mention. Um, obviously, uh, Major League Baseball has started up, and the Blue Jays will actually play today, um, Friday. And uh, but the Blue Jays are in a little predicament here. Uh, um, basically, they are without a home uh the blue jays are without a nest right now uh if you're if you're good with uh, those kind of things but um they as as far as you know plans for that is happening you know they've been denied a- access to the rogers center in toronto uh by the canadian government and also uh they I, I think we i mean you saw it too they basically it was it was nearly confirmed that they would be using pittsburgh's uh ballpark and then the state of Pennsylvania basically stepped in and kind of denied that. So, just quickly, Michael, what are your thoughts on on that whole predicament, and what what how does how does the, the this kind of situation affect the Blue Jays season?
0: Well, here's the first thing: the reason why the the Raptors, the Jays, are in this position to begin with is because of the fact that the Canadian government uh, denied them uh, the ability to stay in Toronto further games and it's understandable why because the the nightmare of just trying to quarantine everyone that comes in across the border for the other teams then having to do the same with the Jays and then when they come back they have to do that all over again they just knew that it was a uh, too much of a hassle it was it was worth avoiding um now just going back to what you were talking about Pittsburgh made a lot of sense because it's somewhat close Buffalo was another contender since it was like right there but I know the facilities were not up to spar with MLB standards and baltimore stadium is one that the jays i know have had a lot of success so if that's the stadium that they end up going the city that they end up staying in for the receipt for the rest of the season i think it would make a lot of sense and i think the jays would be a little bit happy just because this is a park they know very well but anything can change just like this pandemic uh, the government of Maryland still has to finalize this approval and uh let it go forward but uh I'd, I'd imagine that uh, Baltimore is where the Jays are going to be playing this season, unless something crazy happens.
1: Mm-hmm. And like you said, we're just waiting approval for that. But it looks like that'll be the scenario. Um, of course, the worst case scenario is the Blue Jays will just play every game this season on the road. But obviously, there's obvious disadvantages to that um, in terms of how the Blue Jays would you know, suffer as a result of that and, and play and perform on the field because of the constant travel and things like that. There's just so many factors that play into it. But mm-hmm. yeah, we'll just have to see how that plays out. Um, they are a young team, though. Though, just wanted
0: oh, yeah. because I, I just thought of something. Because they are, since they are mostly a young group of guys, they might have the, use these uh, constant traveling to their advantage. Because remember, a lot of the, their big players like Vladdy, uh, Bichette, and Vigio, among others, have only been in the majors for like one season. So if they have to do a lot of traveling, like this Jays team is going to, they'll be somewhat used to it. It's not completely uh, foreign to them. Mm-hmm. So it may be helpful. They may not they may not uh, be much of a deterrent as we think. Oh yeah, for sure.
1: Um, but I'm pretty sure they'll they'll find a, they'll find a, a nest to call their home. Um, but in other news, moving into hockey, uh, just quickly, I wanted to touch on uh, we've gotten kind of a look into the NHL bubble situation that is being set up in Edmonton and Toronto. I just wanted your quick thoughts on it super quick.
0: Okay, it's a very uh, tightly knit plant. We've seen some pictures yesterday um, just of what it could potentially look like and as well what the inside of the arena is going to look like. I'd say all things considered, I think the NHL is doing a good job of uh, trying to protect the players. Although if we're talking about the Toronto uh, bubble, I'd imagine those that are staying at the Royal York Hotel are probably not going to be too pleased with having such a small patio deck and such limited spaces because now that the the, uh, community, the the public knows – where exactly they're going to be, I imagine there's going to be some fans that are going to try and like get a little glimpse, like see their favorite players, like oh hey, hey uh, whoever's there, I want a pitcher or something. So I imagine that uh, a lot of players are going to try and uh, head over to the uh, BMO Field side of things, since that's uh, more closed off and that's the area is going to have a, a bigger area for them to stretch their legs and uh, get rested. But I think I really want to talk about Edmonton, and I know you're gonna what we're going to talk about here. Let's just take a moment to, to look at that picture with the, the lawn chairs.
1: So, before we before I mention that, yeah, I just wanted to reiterate that uh, things are it is looking good, the secure zones. You know, the players will have a good amount of space. So, you know, here in Toronto, at BMO Field, to, you know, take part in outdoor activities. Uh, uh, they have a patio deck at the uh, Fairmont Royal York. Uh, and, you know, they're just kind of creating their own little campus that players can get around in course it's different from the nba's bubble because it's it's different because they are you know these are still places that are kind of open to the public um although it'll be fenced off you just want to make sure that when players are traveling to and from these places you know that they're not coming in contact with the public but uh yeah i mean on edmonton side i still say it looks good they have just as much uh facilities open for the uh for the team i'm just looking at the uh kind of the the diagrams that were released today um in edmonton they'll have you know movie theaters dining areas activity spaces things like that team lounges a lot more team lounges than i think in toronto um suites and offices they get to use inside uh rogers rogers place um but yeah referring to what you brought up um it's believed there's no confirmation yet i don't think but they are setting up a what looks like an outdoor kind of relaxation area for the players to maybe mingle in, and I don't know, it just doesn't look that great um, when you see that it, it, there was just some lawn chairs around a, t- a few tables and a basketball net set up. It looks uh, like doesn't look like a very relaxing place to you know relax. That I know they're trying to get that kind of community vibe, uh, hangout spot, but I think they can do a, a little more. You know, putting a little more effort there.
0: I think that starts with getting better chairs than just plastic (laughs) long chairs. And I'm not trying to, we're not trying to bash on Edmonton here because that's the least of our concerns. Like, just the fact that they're even in consideration for the hub cities is uh, enough uh, to know that they're uh, a worthy candidate to host a uh, world-class city. For sure. Exactly, yeah. But... I just think that uh, it's not a great look when you see pictures like that uh, circulating around. And obviously there's already been problems with the Rogers place getting flooded or at least parts of it getting flooded. Um, I'd imagine that uh, there's going to be a little bit more work done to uh, try and make it uh, much more welcoming to the players in terms of just the outdoor areas, if that's even possible. But there also should be like a little deck on one of the hotels to make it even easier because there shouldn't be just one spot for the players to go, like, if there's only one spot, the players going to like, okay, this is ridiculous. We need more places to stretch our legs. We can't just have this one spot.
1: For sure. Uh, I think the last thing I'll say about this uh, situation is, yeah, we'll just see how it plays out. Um, I'm pretty sure the NHL and uh, both the cities are trying to make it as uh, nice as possible for the players. Um, I think the NHL should just try to, you know, aim for both cities to be kind of equal in terms of uh, facilities and, and kind of uh, quality of their, uh, the NHL's like the, the things that the players can do in those facilities, I think they should try to make it as equal as possible. So uh, even when we get to the conference finals and the finals, players don't feel that much of a difference, you know. Um, but with that, I think we'll move into our final topic, uh, which kind of will lead us into our next interview perfectly. But
2: mm-hmm. the
1: Leafs and hockey, of course, uh, is coming back. Hockey's coming back and the Toronto Maple Leafs will uh, be ready to undergo uh, their first round series against the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets next week and I just want your quick prediction uh about this obviously we talked a lot of uh to Joshua Cloca, who will you'll hear from soon about this but quickly Michael I just want to know your predictions
0: I think that this is going to be a very close series I think that's what most people were predicting coming into it uh I think I still stand by that this is going to go the distance to five games and uh I, it's hard to really say who's gonna really come out on top here, just because these are two evenly matched teams. So you'll hear more from Joshua Cloak about it, and by the way, a really good interview. But uh, I just all I can say is that this goes the distance, and it could go either way.
1: I think it'll honestly, I like the same thing. Um, you'll hear it in our interview, but uh, I think it'll come down to goaltending, um, in a lot of ways, uh, rather than who's just the best goaltender. But uh, I think it'll go four or five games, and if you would ask me, I'd say probably I lean towards leafs in four but i could definitely see it going Leafs in five or even blue jackets in five um mm-hmm. so uh we'll we'll see how it plays out but uh with further ado i'll let you introduce uh the next guest or, or transition into the, our interview
0: yes uh if any of you have been reading the athletic uh joshua cloak is an excellent writer who covers both the Leafs and the toronto fc he does these ex these great pieces that uh to get the players to uh Come out of their shell a little bit and uh reveal a different side of them that i think we don't really get to see in other articles so if you haven't read those yet you should definitely check it out but he also covers the lease as i said and he provides some really good insights so why don't we go right into that interview excited to be joined today by joshua cloak a staff writer for the athletic who covers both the toronto maple Leafs and toronto fc he is also a writer of a book called come on you reds the story of toronto fc so welcome to the show joshua how's it going
3: oh not so bad thanks for having me guys our pleasure our pleasure of course so
1: uh uh, how's your day going first off
3: uh day is is uh a little different than normal i mean i have a I have a toddler at home and, you know, anybody that has kids at home right now knows what a, a grind it can be. And, and I drew the, uh, the morning shift this morning. So my day was, or my morning was filled with, uh, about 20 different versions of wheels on the bus. Um, <laughs> and so I'm, uh, I'm happy to talk hockey. Of course. Of course. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we could jump right
1: into the hockey talk here. Uh, I mean, first, we want to ask you, uh, I mean, obviously with uh, hockey starting back up, we're kind of using this episode as a playoff preview type uh, episode. So what are your observations of the Leafs training camp so far? And uh, what's kind of the mood surrounding the team right now?
3: Yeah, I think um, I, I got to say I was pretty surprised by just how intense um, and just how high energy the practices and the scrimmages that I've seen. I've been to, to camp a few times um so far this week this week last week um and yeah again much more intense than I guess I thought they were going to be you kind of expected maybe a a few days for the the team just as a whole to kind of get into it but you can you can see the the effect of so many Leafs being back for phase two it's something that's been talked about a lot but I think there's merit behind it because there's a lot of chemistry on lines you know there's a lot of intensity I mean the you don't have to look hard to see Kasperi Kapanen or Kyle Clifford taking runs at their teammates and that's good that's what you want right um so yeah pretty intense stuff uh early on and and um there there looks to be an energy amongst the team and a lot of that is is as well due to the fact that you have kind of fringe players pushing for spots right i'm i'm sure we're going to talk about Nick Robertson mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. when you bring a guy like him who's just you know he's wired to be energetic um that kind of pushes other players too right because it there's there's obviously most of the spots are taken but when you have some of those fringe lineup spots available um you know it it ups the intensity so yeah i i i gotta say i've been pleasantly surprised by just how strong and and how i guess serious the team looks so far
0: and I feel like that's been reflected in their interactions on and off the ice. Uh, we, we understand that you wrote a piece this morning about uh, what the lease are planning on bringing to the bubble. And it looks like they're uh, having uh, really lighthearted uh, things that they're going to do and what they're going to do in their downtime. So can you give a sense on like what their uh, attitude is uh, on and off the ice, uh, just from your observation?
3: Yeah, it, it's a lot tougher to to be honest with you, just in that, you know, all of the interviews, all of the availabilities now are via Zoom, which is a super kind of controlled way to do things. And, I mean, I don't envy these guys, like, having to answer questions to faceless, you know, people, right? Like, they're just staring into a screen, hearing our voices and answering questions. Like, it's really – it can be tepid at the best of times, right? Um, But one thing I have noticed, and and – I suppose it's not out of the ordinary but it's something that keeps coming up if you know I was asking players maybe just to kind of lighten the mood a bit like what are they planning on packing and a lot of them said that you know whatever they're planning on packing they're they're planning on being in the bubble for a long time which I guess is kind of like uh, you know a, a bit of a standard cliche thing to say but you can tell that this team is 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 ready for a long run. They're not, you know, surprised to be there like, you know, maybe the the Canadians or the Rangers might be right there. They they they're looking at this as an opportunity to to go deep, to kind of get over that first round hump maybe a little easier than they would have normally. Um but yeah, I think that there's um this team has always for the past few years been a pretty tight-knit group. Um and and yeah, you, you know, I was talking or I asked Justin Hall yesterday and you know that question and and he said that you know as as much as it 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 really sucks being away from your family and being away from your wife and kids it's an opportunity for the team to be together 24-7 and that's something that you know can work for a team you you might get sick of each other but it it can work for a team if you have a team that's already pretty close to begin with which the Leafs are um so i think that the the mood is good heading into to to phase four
1: awesome um we are and then uh like in terms of you mentioned a, a, a few of those players that uh have kind of shown i guess their drive and their uh anticipation for the new uh or for the return to play but uh which players have particularly stood out to you the most and uh, uh on the other hand are, are there any players you're you could be concerned about
3: um like I don't think a lot of people were super impressed by Nick Robertson in his first few days of camp I think it took him a few days to kind of get acclimatized to the speed of the game and the Leafs were wise to like not make him available to the media for like the first three or four days when you know Sheldon Keefe was and and players as well were getting questions about Nick Robertson every single day leading up to it Um, So it took him a few days to kind of get acclimatized to his surroundings and and again, the pace of the game, but he's certainly caught up and he looks dangerous in scrimmages. So, you know, I think people can maybe breathe a sigh of relief with with Nick Robertson. I, I don't know for sure if he's going to be in the opening night lineup, but I do think he gets a shot in the playoffs. I just think that he, he is, his shot is just too lethal, and, and he's shown that in scrimmages. Um, the best player for me through the scrimmages, hands down, has been William Nylander. And, and I think I tweeted about that earlier in the week. Like, it's no surprise. I mean, he was having a great season. Um, who knows how many goals he would have hit? He had 31 in the shortened season. I mean, who knows what he would have pushed for. Um, but he's looked both comfortable and dangerous, if if that's a thing, right? Like, he he... He doesn't look panicked with the puck, but when he has the puck on his stick, he, something always seems to happen. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 good to see that William Nylander, right? Um, so mm-hmm. he's looked great to me, and I, I I honestly think that if he continues to play the way he has through training camp, he could be you know the kind of player that 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 you know could push for that scoring lead for the Leafs if they do go on a deep run. Um, I I don't know about concern. Just yet, I mean, the the whole – the way the scrimmages were designed, you know, they had one team, Team Matthews, which was just stacked, right, with Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares, and you had kind of a more defensive outfit on the other side with mm-hmm. Freddie Anderson and goal. And, you know, there was one game, I think the second one, it's, you know, all the days are kind of blending together, but he just got shelled. And, you know, I'm not <laughs> – it's – you don't wanna read you really don't want to read too much into these things, but um I, I wonder what kind of effect that, that has. Maybe it doesn't have any effect at all, right? But Freddie's probably the one, Freddie Anderson's probably the one guy that will have questions surrounding him, as he always will, right? Um so I wonder if I wonder what if, if the desired effect of, of having these scrimmages, these kind of lopsided teams has kind of played out the way the coaches had I'd hoped it would.
0: Well, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up uh, Nylander because I think Nylander this season and last season especially has been at the ire of a lot of fans for his so-called lack of uh, effort. And this season he definitely uh, silenced some of his critics with his uh, bounce-back season. And I think the real test is going to be in the playoffs. So I want to ask you, do you think this is a player like Robertson who's super motivated to try and uh, silence his doubters?
3: I don't think William Nylander is ever not super motivated. I understand the, the perception of William Nylander, and you can see it some nights, right? You, you see sometimes a lack of backchecking, checking and, and you see what what is perceived generally as a lack of effort just because he doesn't maybe skate the way a lot of other players do, right? But in a lot of ways, William Nylander is just kind of a the embodiment of you know the the next generation of nhl players just so 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 talented and he just because he plays the game differently and maybe because he doesn't skate or have the energy that maybe a, a third line player from 10 years ago might have shown that 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 doesn't mean he's any less effective i just think we need to change our perception of of what makes a dangerous offensive player, right? Um, anyway, I, do I think he's out to silence his critics? I don't really think he gives a shit. I really don't. Um, I think he plays the game because he loves it, and I think he plays the game because he wants to get better, right? And, and you know, you talk to people about William Nylander, and, you know, he's the kind of player that is always trying to get better off the ice, trying to get bigger, trying to get stronger, trying to, you know, improve his explosiveness. And people say that. People say he's often the last one to to leave the Leafs practice facility after a practice, right? Because he's always just trying, trying, trying. So if that means he's, I, you know, doing it to silence his doubters, I don't know. But I I, I would imagine there's some players that are very in, in tune with what people are saying about them. I don't think William Nylander is one of those players. That's just my opinion, but I, I really don't think he's one of those players.
1: Mm-hmm. And we'll definitely have to see how um he continues his success from this season to into the playoffs. But uh, um, my next question is how do you think the lease will fare against the Blue Jackets in the, in the first play in round?
3: I, I don't think it's going to be a short series either way. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is certainly one of the more even matchups and I guess that's the nature of of the seating. Right. But um. I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised either way. That might not be the answer you, you want, but like would anybody be surprised if if the Blue Jackets who are healthy now, right? Like they're a healthy team, they can, you know, they have their team that plays super hard, like would anybody be surprised if they won in 5? Not really. And would anybody be surprised if the Leafs finally got over that first round hump and and won In five games, no. I mean, because there's just so much talent. I'm a believer that in a shorter, a shorter series benefits the Leafs, because there's just so much high-end talent, right? And Matthews can win a game on his own. Nylander can win a game on his own. Um, Marner can steal a game on his own, right? And and if Freddie, if you know, to bring it back to Freddie, I think if Freddie steals one game. That's there, there's enough high-end talent to, to get the Leafs that those three wins. So I, I'm picking the Leafs in five. I don't know if we're doing predictions, but I, I picked the Leafs in five. I was asked about this earlier, so I, I got to stick with that. Just just the, the, the high-end talent alone, maybe if this were seven games, this might be a different story, but I don't know. I guess that they've shown that they can get three wins in the first round. Um, so that, that's kind of what I'm going with now.
0: Well, absolutely. And I think you bring up a great point in that Columbus is a team to watch out for. And we saw it last year with the uh, series against the Tampa Bay Lightning where they stunned the President's Trophy winners in uh, a four-game sweep. So in that sense, what do you think Columbus has that the Leafs should be looking out for?
3: I mean, they just play the game far more physically than the Leafs do, right? Um, They just play the game with a bit more intensity. And that's been the question that the Leafs or that's kind of, you know, follow the Leafs is, is whether they can play that physical style of game and people can point to the addition of Kyle Clifford. I think there needs to be a a lot more than that. And, And I don't think physicality means, you know, hitting and fighting. I just think it means just competing every single shift, which the Leafs haven't always done this season. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah the you know it's her John Tortorella team so they're going to try to to just play more physical than you and and it'll be interesting to see how the leafs manage because their their blue line isn't the leafs blue line isn't a, a a physical outfit um so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of manage the uh, the Blue Jackets forwards. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the one thing to watch. That'll be, I mean, these are pretty standard narratives, right? Um, but that's definitely what I think people will be looking for going into that first game.
1: For sure. And um, I'm, I'm with you there that uh, I think that this series will actually be quite a long series and a pretty even-paced series. I think, uh, I for me, I look at the goaltending, um, although it's, it is in one way, you know, a matchup between... Uh, elite goaltenders but at the same time um corpus solo uh has been he's uh actually he allowed 13 goals in two exhibition games and although it's just exhibition games right now um you know people are still you know kind of doubting him there and obviously as well there's some doubts around anderson so i think it's i uh, for me i i look at the series and think a lot of it will come down to the goaltending for sure
3: yeah i i, I do and i agree and and um Again, we're talking about silencing doubters. Um, you know, maybe we want to include Freddie Anderson in that too, right? Um, but the Leafs have. I don't. I think it would take a lot for this to happen, but I, I would imagine the Leafs feel a lot better having Jack Campbell in that. This he's looked really good in in training camp as well. Um, he's kind of stood on his head a few times, and he looks like he hasn't missed a beat as well. So they have to feel a little bit better about being able to go to Jack Campbell if they need to, but I, 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 think that it would be a pretty dramatic turn of events for that to happen. For sure. We've been talking
0: about to uh, X factors and players that uh, we're going to make a big difference for at least obviously Anderson is one of them. I would imagine Nylanders another for sure. Matthews as well, but is there any other players that people maybe are not thinking right now is an X factor that
3: could potentially be one? Um, I guess it depends what you think can influence a game um, or influence an entire series. I um, I'm a big fan of of what Jake Muzzin brings to the team. Maybe not so much like yes on the ice, but uh, but also a lot uh, off the ice too. Jake Muzzin just projects a, a calmness about him, uh, and and you can tell that the people that are around him in the locker room pick up on that calmness. He's a guy that's that's been there before. He's won a Stanley Cup, right? He He's probably not going to get phased by a five-game play-in round. And he's he tried to project that calm a bit through the media last season. Um, and uh, I, I I would bet that, um, I, again, these are intangibles, tough to kind of measure. But I would bet that if we're looking for, you know, into the Leafs' room and, and looking at, at a player that can kind of... To, to borrow a, a babcockism steady the rudder, you know, like mm-hmm. it, he he's the guy that that would do that. Um because again, this is uh, for the Leafs, this is gonna be a bit of a, a a mental hurdle for them to get over too, right? They know a lot of them know the questions that are being asked about, you know, whether they can win in the first round. So um yeah, Jake Muzzin is a player to 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 keep your eye on, but I guess you, you won't you Won't be able to see so much as what he does, what I'm kind of talking about, but but again, just in my kind of conversations with Jake and people around him, you can tell that that sense of calm is appreciated in the Leafs locker room
1: for sure. For sure, um, we I also want to ask you, um, as a reporter just covering the Leafs right now, um, how have things kind of changed due to the pandemic and uh, how are you finding things? Um, I mean, you can answer that. In terms of uh, you know the reporter's perspective, or even how players are kind of handling things um, at practice.
3: Well, I mean it's completely different, like completely different. I kind of, I kind of wrote this in my story this morning. You um, maybe I, I, lots of reporters operate in lots of different ways, right? But but one thing that I like to do is you know every day if, if possible um, just. Th- find a player that is you know sitting in the locker room after practice and um just have a chat shoot the shit and, and i know a lot of reporters do that too and it's a good way for me to kind of get um just take the temperature of the team at that point and you know check in and and see uh see what's happening you know with the team uh so you can't do that obviously when you're not allowed in the locker room um you know media availabilities still happen after practice and they are um they're set up through zoom and you know a a bunch of players are kind of uh put in front of the camera and and you know they can face the questions and you, you maybe don't feel as comfortable asking the kind of personal or offbeat questions that i you know am prone to asking but um yeah that's that's definitely changed and practices we can still watch which is great um you you have to stay distanced from reporters and and uh, you know wear masks as as everyone should. Um, so it's a much more kind of controlled thing. But but everybody's going through it, right? Players mm-hmm. have to wear masks, you know, when they're mm-hmm. off the ice and and um, it, it. Not everybody's, you know, people aren't super comfortable, you know, but um, it, it. I think everybody's just kind of. Getting through it, um, so you know, has it? I guess has it made it more difficult to to cover the team? Perhaps um, y- you know, you're you're forced to to kind of follow practices a little more intently, and and um, and and that's a good thing. But uh, yeah, it's 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 definitely different. It's a challenge, but like everyone in every field, we've all had to adapt, and and that's a that's a good thing. You know, it's going to help us in the future, I hope. For sure.
0: Absolutely. I want to just bring up uh, some of your articles that trying to open up uh, players a little bit. Uh, you've asked a lot of Leaf players over the last couple of years kind of questions like this, and some answers have uh, varied uh, from um, uh, interesting to just uh, more in tune with how they uh, react uh, to temp- other answers. I want to ask you, is there one answer from a player that really stood out to you that really took you aback? <laughs>
3: That's a really good question. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm trying to 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 rack my brains. I I remember the um, the story about um, the the Leafs uh, band. You know, the 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 group of like five or six Leafs, and this was in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, the, led by Justin Hall and Travis Dermott. Um, you know that whole thing kind of came about i was waiting for for justin hall um after practice and this was when justin hall was in mike babcock's doghouse and he was not playing at all Mm -hmm. right 18 19 right so you know i was waiting for him after i was after a morning skate um and i was just kind of waiting for him and you know because he was a, a healthy scratch he stayed on the ice a lot later and So everybody had left, and all the reporters had gone to Mike Babcock's um, uh, press conference. And you know, Justin Hall finally came in, and and, yeah, I was asking him about at that point, like, how does he deal with with just not playing? And wasn't I wasn't expecting anything about music, or I I was expecting almost like a kind of a either a, a cliched answer or maybe some frustration. You know, ala Frankie Corrado, right? Um, right. But what I thought mm-hmm. was the story about how he, you know, turns to his his teammates and he plays music with them. And and um, I think if if my my timeline in my head is correct, um, Matthews was also coming back from an injury as well. And, and Matthews was kind of on the other end of the uh, the dressing room kind of peeling his gear off. And and I could tell that he was kind of watching and listening to us and he was waiting for us to mention him. Cause it, you know, he kind of piped up that he got his own drum set and he was looking to join the band too. Um, and I was kind of like standing in the middle, stunned at, at this kind of conversation between Justin Hall and Austin Matthews, two completely different players on the ice who I wondered if they would ever have any conversations off of it. And it turns out they, they did and they do. And that, I guess the point is, is that you, you know, you you go into questions and interviews, and and you never, you have to keep an open mind, and you have to, you always just have to ask the question because you're, ninety nine percent of the time you might get the answer you're expecting, um, but a lot of times like that you don't, um, you know, you, you don't get cliched answers or, or answers about being frustrated or hockey or whatever. You learn a little bit more about players, um, and I guess, and I know I'm kind of going on here, but I remember as well. Um, to just kind of tie it in. I remember when um, players uh, a few years ago were kneeling and, and players were, were getting, um, you know, asked about whether they would kneel or, or whether they would raise a fist in the air. And I had, a, a, I had an argument with a friend who was frustrated that we were even asking um, players these questions, uh, white players these questions. And I, I guess I, I remember saying that like you have to always ask. The question you 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 cannot assume you're going to know what you're going to hear, right? And I don't right. know I don't know if my friend agreed or cared, um, <laughs> but I do know that that's something I've learned is that you just have to ask the question. You don't know where it's going to take you. Um, if you get a bad answer, no skin off your back, right? Uh, but it could lead to something, and that's what I found with that Leafs Span story. That that honestly just came out of a conversation about hockey, uh, and it went to a really different place and I'm really happy that it did.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah, I I just want to say like that's such a great tidbit of advice there. I mean, for anyone uh trying to get into reporting, like me and Michael were both all as well trying to get into sports reporting as well. But um, that is honestly such a great uh, piece of advice. And even referring to the uh, like the 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 story you're referring to, I, I remember reading that article about the uh, the Leafs band that they kind of jam out. Um, yeah. With each other, and uh, I just wanted to ask you super quickly about that. Like, uh, when I, I I'm pretty sure, like, I'm guessing that story kind of came about at that moment where um they where Hall started telling you about how like how he jams out with them and, and Matthews piped in. Um, what what goes on in your mind then when you like you know that kind of like, you know, uh, just those sudden stories just just come out of nowhere. What goes on in your mind? I'm sure you're excited.
3: You're right. I, I I do get excited, and I've been accused by fellow reporters about getting excited about stories too easily, <laughs> um, which I guess is just in in my nature. I, I love. I, I consider myself insanely fortunate to be able to do what I do. I absolutely love my job, and I love that that moment where you think you might have something. And for me, then there's just kind of a y- y- you. For me I start formulating the story really 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 quickly, right? And that means just kind of checking in with my editor and saying like shit, I think I have something here. And and there's a you know, now and I was really lucky that no one else was in the room for that because very often when someone overhears something, you know, you that you know, it's a it's a competitive landscape and you have to mm-hmm. you worry that someone else might have that story and you want to get it out quickly but you also want to do it well right um so yeah you you, you get really excited i, I don't know I, I like to uh i always start every day I, I because i have a toddler i have to wake up early to do this but i start every day with a walk or a bike ride just to kind of formulate where i'm at for the day and what i need to to do and, and if i'm working on a story like where do i think the story is going to go um and if i get something like that i like to like you know, leave the rink and maybe take a longer way home so I can think about it and just think about all the things I need to do and who else I need to talk to. And, and I, I like to roll with things really quickly. And, 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 and yeah, I, I, I don't know. Again, I've been accused of, of being excited and naive, but I, I, I think if you get enthusiastic about a story, sometimes I think that shows in the writing too. I hope, I don't know. I hope.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I feel like best kinds of stories that come out of a question or just a follow-up question and i feel like those really came forward in uh articles just like such as the band just going back to uh hot the current state of affairs though we've been asked a lot of this uh in the comment section about uh from from nick Barton and uh murr out loud who've been asking about uh, the dress code and that's become a big topic of discussion are you excited about the fact that teams no longer have dress codes and players can wear whatever they want
3: I mean, am I excited? I I guess uh, because it it just means that um, you know we'll get to see something different. Uh, I mean, I think it's probably a long time coming for the league, right? Like I I I remember when I I remember when I was in high school and I had a few and I'm talking like grade eleven and I had a few friends that played um, AAA and you know I grew up in Oshawa which takes hockey about as serious as any other town anywhere um and you know these kids these friends of mine would wear suits to school that day you know and they wouldn't have a game until whatever seven o'clock and it it seemed silly it's i'm sure at first i was like what you know because i grew up playing soccer and we just wore our track suits to games and i thought wow that's look at these guys that that's super cool but after a while i was like this is like why do they want to do this what are they trying to project and and i think that just kind of speaks to the the conformity that we very often see in hockey um and i think if you you know and 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 i'll be honest i asked austin matthews in his zoom availability the other day about just that and he kind of you know piped up and he said that he was really looking forward to it and I mean, there's probably just a handful of of young players that are going to be as impactful in the future of the game as Austin Matthews. And so if you see a player like him that's saying, I'm looking forward to it because it's a way for us to express ourselves and we're behind other leagues in that regard, that's important, right? It's important to allow players a voice. And, you know, you have some people on one side that say, well, hockey, you know, there's hockey is a game built on tradition and you have people on the other side that say right but hockey players personalities are probably more stifled than a lot of other sports right i'm of the belief that personalities sell the game right if you look at soccer you know people don't want to to be teams people don't grow up cheering for teams the way that um you know because their parents cheered for them they cheer for athletes and they cheer for specific players Right, And I think this is a way, by allowing players to express themselves, it's a way for young fans to kind of connect more with players and, and hopefully grow the, the reach of, of the NHL, which I think is something we, we all want um, or any hockey fan wants. Um, so I'm, I'm for it. I, I, am, I am on team where what you want. Um, and I, I probably care more than some other reporters, but I, I think it's great. I think it's a good step forward.
1: For sure. And um, on that topic, uh, I mean, other than Austin Matthews, because I'm pretty sure most hockey fans know that Austin Matthews will likely um, be wearing some uh, interesting outfits uh, and get create, really great, get creative with it. But are you expecting any particular Leafs uh, to, you know, try out any cool new outfits?
3: Good question. Cool new outfits. Yeah, Matthews is going to be in front of that and, and Nylander as well. Right. Like this. um, But I also think these guys, you know, heading to the game, like it, I think comfort is going to be uh, like a priority. So I suspect you're probably, you know, Mitch Marner mentioned something about wearing a nice sweatsuit to games. So like, I think you'll see something like that. Um, But yeah, Nylanders, I think he was voted the best-dressed Leaf in in my Leafs player poll earlier this season. So yeah, I think Nylander is going to be pretty excited about what he can wear as well
0: mm-hmm. absolutely um this has been a really great discussion just before we uh continue uh thanks again for really coming on and just providing your uh insight on the leafs uh, yeah thanks before so we let you go yeah of course um before we let you go josh we want to ask you a question that uh one of our fans asked and that's uh out loud she asked which toronto pizza is the best and for her it's like why is it pizza pizza
3: yeah <laughs> uh, uh yeah i mean i think um i i tweet a bit about pizza i i you know for me there's uh <laughs> pizza takes a is a big part of of my life i i don't know why I, I grew up obsessed with it and i'm still obsessed with it i cook it at home probably twice a week and i eat it probably another two times a week out um I don't know. I love, I love cooking it at home, but in terms of like Toronto pizza, Toronto's pizza scene has often, you know, it kind of comes in waves. Sometimes a lot of, you know, new spots open up, but the Toronto doesn't have like a defining pizza type the way that like Detroit and Chicago or even LA does. Right. Um, And I'm waiting for, for that to happen, but the, the best pizza in Toronto right now i'm gonna it's a slight edge i'm gonna give the edge to super point on ozington um oh their slices are, are are great um uh batondo's as well i know uh my man jonas siegel loves batondo's really old school spot just off college um i would suggest getting the panzerotti there um, I'm pretty bummed that my local spot, Vesuvios and the Junction, closed down. Um, and in terms of like deep dish, I'm glad that uh I, I you got me on a tangent here, but I'm glad that fourth man in the fire is now doing square slices. I think square pizza for me is is like square deep dish for me is the best pizza out there. And I know that that might be controversial. I've eaten pizza in Rome, I've eaten it in Naples new york chicago for me like deep dish square is what i'm cooking every single friday night um this friday included um and yeah i I like what fourth man in the fire is doing there so those three are probably the top for me right now um but yeah most you know i i my wife and i when this pandemic first started we we're trying a different pizza place every week to kind of, I don't know, do our part or whatever. Um, and I, 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 went and picked up a wheel at uh, Gigi's, which I hadn't gone to since I was in my 20s, and you know, at 3 a.m. or whatever. Um, not a bad pizza at all. Good value for the size. Um, so yeah, lots, lots to check out. I suggest checking out your your neighborhood spot first and then branching out. Um, but yeah, lots in Toronto. Great question.
1: Awesome. Uh, I, I think you've made me want to crave some pizza right now. And I'm sure as soon as this, uh, pandemic situation is over, I'll, I'll be trying out a lot more new places that you've just mentioned.
0: Same here.
3: Yeah. Good stuff.
1: For sure. Um, but again, yeah, that kind of wraps up our discussion, but we really just want to thank you for coming on and we really appreciate it. And then all the insight that you've, uh, offered on the podcast today
3: look guys anytime i I appreciate you having me on
1: awesome thank you very much and uh for sure to all the listeners make sure to uh read joshua's uh work at the uh athletic and uh do you just want to uh plug any socials that you have well you can find
3: me on twitter at joshua cloak i don't know if that's interesting it's a lot of just you know stuff about uh pizza and some of the best quotes from from leafs availabilities but that's where you can find me hanging out i guess awesome there you go
1: so uh yeah once again thank you so much and uh yeah
3: yeah thanks guys
1: awesome have a great day man I mean, that was just as great of an interview as uh, I could have ever imagined. Uh, Thank you again to Joshua uh, for, um, you know, for coming on the podcast and and really offering his insight. It was great and uh, gets me so excited for Leafs hockey to be back.
0: Honestly, man, me too. I really enjoyed that interview as well. And uh, just to bring back to what Blake mentioned at the end of his interview, there is a promo code to... uh, join the athletic and get a subscription more specifically and uh get to read both articles from uh, blake and joshua so definitely check that out as well they they have some really good stuff
1: for sure for sure um so before we close out this episode uh we there was there was some big big news um happening in the hockey world yesterday and that was the 32nd team in the nhl um the one that's supposed to, that's going to be based in uh, Seattle has announced their name and they will be named the Seattle Kraken. What do you think of that? I want to know your thoughts on uh, the name and the jerseys.
0: You know what? I know there's some people that are like, like Ugh, this is not a great name. I actually like it because think about it. Kraken means squid like it's just a legendary squid. And squids are actually pretty dangerous. Uh, Omar, our shout out to Omar, posted a cool picture yesterday of a of a squid battling a shark, and then I posted one of a squid battling a uh, a whale. Like squids can't are uh, they're pretty dangerous animals. So I think it's a good it's a good and it's unique too because there's not many uh, sports teams teams uh, that don't have an S at the end of their name, but also aren't named the Kraken. So I like it and the logo's great too. What mm-hmm. about you?
1: i mean first i want to say uh it's kind of funny that omar tweeted that because we know he's probably the uh the he's probably the you know the biggest uh you know he's, he's he does not like sharks uh, not not just the t te- like i'm not referring to team but i'm talking about the animal sharks as we've seen when we play fortnite so yep. i just need to get that jab in there but um yeah in terms of the team uh i love i actually really love the team name um of course for you know the last couple of years people have been speculating what team uh, what name the team could be using and Kraken was the leading candidate and I really like the, Kra- the Kraken it just it just went along with everything i know there were other names uh like you know the totems things like that uh the metropolitans to go back to their roots um, that was proposed but um i think they did want to start with a fresh new identity and i think the Kraken is it's it's honestly a really catchy name uh and uh it'll be it'll be fun to see how this team grows and in terms of the jerseys i need to get me one of those jerseys they just look so nice just that colorway is just yep. so clean even if i'm like not a fan of them uh per se or even if you're not a fan of them like the jersey is just so clean like i can imagine it just wearing it like you know just in a fit you know <laughs> but uh, oh yeah
0: i will buy a hat if there's one of just the logo i will buy that tomorrow yeah.
1: The, I like the logo too. the logo is actually so creative and I really like how their secondary the anchor I didn't even see it at first but then I saw it um, and then everyone kind of caught on but uh, the space needle is kind of the tip of the anchor in their secondary logo which is really smart and I really like when you know teams do that with their branding kind of incorporate the city into their uh, you know into their branding um, Absolutely. Mm-hmm, but yeah those are my opinions uh, on the new team. Um, and I think we both could say we're just excited for them to take the ice, uh, in, uh, not the, not this upcoming season, but the season afterwards.
0: I'm looking forward to it too. It should be fun. And it'll be interesting to see, uh, which rivalries develop the f- first, is it Vancouver or San Jose
1: for sure or Vegas. or Vegas? Yeah, for sure. Um, so moving on, uh, as we wrap up this episode, uh, we just have one more bit of news we want to share, uh. The status of our Mario Kart 8 tournament, uh, we have postponed it. We're still figuring out another another day to host it, hopefully very soon. Um, And again, uh, sign-ups, we have a Google form available for uh, sign up that I tweeted out. I'll tweet it out again. And uh, just sign up if you'd like to play. It's
0: just for fun. It'll be, you know, honestly, I think it'll be a great time. I'm really looking forward to it too. Uh, Obviously, we would have loved to do it in the past, but... uh if everything works out the way you expect it to and that's okay um we appreciate everyone's uh feedback uh from when we were uh, discussing it in the past and uh we hope that you guys do decide to uh join in the tournament i think it'll be a lot of fun like matthew said
1: for sure for sure and uh yeah i think that just about wraps up uh this episode uh next week we'll actually have you know proper sports to talk about once again after how long so long um but i, I will say one last thing i i will say i i really I think the one positive thing that came out of this pandemic quarantine era um, with with no sports for our podcast was that, you know, we were really able to kind of grow the podcast. Uh, Even without sports, we got to bring out a lot of of awesome people onto the show, um, have a lot of great episodes, and um, I'm really proud of us. I'm
0: proud of us too, man, and I'm looking forward to what the future lies for us ahead because now that sports are coming back, I just appreciate it that much more. I, I, I know you can kind of, I mean, we feel the same way when sports comes back after a few months of hiatus, like, uh, every off season, but I think this just feels very different for know? sure.
1: For sure. It's a completely different circumstance. Um, but yeah, with that, we are going to sign off. Uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Rodrigo underscore. You can send me, uh, tweets, questions, messages, whatever, uh, and, uh, any feedback about the podcast. We really appreciate it
0: yeah of course and for me it's at the leafs imo that has not changed as as the time of this recording and of course as we mentioned at the top of the show you can find our work at the least nation now
1: of course of course uh um so as always uh i'm matthew and uh my co-host is michael and we are signing off and we'll catch you guys next week
0: see you guys